Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to the Imperfect podcast, all about interviewing and meeting some of the most incredible heart-centered leaders around the globe. And I'm so excited today to have Dave Blanchard with me. Uh, Dave is a very special person to me. Not only is he the founder and CEO of the Augmandino Leadership Group, he is a friend, he is a colleague, and he has been my coach in business. So Dave, welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. Thank you, Deb. It's good to be here. Now, Dave, we both know and really, really value the Habit Finder Assessment, which has been developed by your group. And I really want to have a rich conversation today about how that particular tool or modality can be used within business, especially amongst leaders. And I'd like to talk to it kind of twofold with you. I want, I want to unfold for the listeners how it can be used in an, in an advantage way, but also how sometimes when we lead with the wrong dimension of thought, how it can be misused. So can we start there? Absolutely. Let, let's start on a global perspective because every manager has one challenge. <laughs> and that is, how do I manage these people? They're all different. And so often we'll go and engage in some kind of a, an assessment program to find out their personality, which can be very helpful. It raises everybody's awareness about how they're showing up. And then the leader gets consigned to managing aberrant behavior. <laughs> what was I, how am I supposed to handle that person? You're trying to remember their their color or their number or their letter or whatever it might be. And our philosophy has always been, how about we measure their habits of thinking, the things that drive their emotions, drive their personality. Because a personality is nothing more than memorized emotions, which came from the headwaters of habits of thinking. And if we can find the habits of thinking and determine which habits are like natural genius gifts and help them maximize those. And if there are any unhealthy habits of thinking, help them develop habits so that every employee is showing up being the very best version of themselves. That's, and then you get to manage that, the very best versions of themselves. And with the Habit Finder Coaching Program, we address a number of those habits, especially ones that will impact the work of a team or an individual in a company so that they can bring their creativity to the forefront and share it and not have to get into right-wrong battles and et cetera, so that there can be an energy come into a team of creativity and spontaneity and productivity that will drive a business. Now, a couple of things that we do, and you know this, Deb, but we're sharing it with your audience today. We call it the Team DNA Report. <laughs> 
we have everybody on a team take the habit finder assessment and then we crunch all of those measurements into a single report and it reveals to us and to you as a manager the habits of thinking of your team and it paints an incredible picture ah how many times are you struggling with people who need to be right or people who are just putting in their time or they seem to get their feelings hurt every time you have to confront them well now we can know how all of that is playing case in point publicly traded company uh, challenge the parts they make for an end user the end user wants the least expensive price the vendor wants the most for their raw materials the stockholders want a return and the employees want more money where in the world do you find it you find it in incremental improvement however if you've got engineers talking to production production talking to manufacturing talking to uh, quality and they all have an opinion about how something should be handled it's a constant right wrong battle case in point a case and study that i delivered to the hartman institute last year anonymously didn't name the company in which all four of those silos engineering production manufacturing quality all had one thought process in common never seen it before at that extent but all of them had it and we know the single greatest risk is needing to be right so I was able to, as I'm coaching the managers of each one of those areas, meet with their teams and spend about an hour and a half teaching them a critical principle of taking down someone's wall of resistance, validating them, and then discussing ideas. Because we have a tendency just to share our ideas and they make so much sense to us. They should make sense to somebody else. Why are they fighting this? Well, when we need to be right, someone else needs to be wrong. And when we make them wrong, we push their self-esteem buttons. We went through the four silos, hour and a half a silo, that's all it took. And they started collaborating and solved millions of dollars of problems in just a few short months. It was a miraculous thing to watch, but the assessment got us to the root cause of the challenge for them being able to find and implement incremental improvement, which was the only source for profit in a publicly traded company. That's so critical to be able to find that out. So that would be one, Dev. Any, any comments or questions about that before I share the second one? I just, I love what you pointed out there that I'd like to highlight is you took multiple departments and, and the commonality always comes back to that, that neuroscience term that I love, being metacognition. When they're able to think about how they're thinking, but you could point it to a specific area that was consistent. And it must have been such an aha moment for all of those managers to, to see that they weren't alone and it was a shared thought process. Oh, incredible. Because people aren't teaching this. Many corporations are very systemic, right, wrong, win, lose, quotas, rules, regulations, policies, procedures, and we're constantly having someone need to be right, someone needs to be wrong, and someone's self-esteem being crushed. And when their self-esteem is crushed, they're frustrated, angry, their feelings are hurt. It consumes enormous amount of time over lunch and the water cooler and, and just, 
anger, frustration, all of that energy could be focused in creative ideas, inspired ideas, intuitive impressions that could bring improvement to a process and help someone be more productive. So we want to make sure that we're freeing someone from being in that space. And it's the most common challenge in corporations. Deb, I had one of our coaches uh, have me review a DNA report in preparation for a presentation this past week. And you could say, oh, 90% did this. Now you can see why 72% are doing that, why 83% are doing that. And she could tell the story of what was happening under the surface, the current in the culture, without even talking to a soul, because we know when a habit of thinking shows up what the risks are. And you can see that sequential, that domino effect through an organization. So yes, this is a really valuable tool for a company. The other place, and Deb, you and I have talked about this, that when you're talking with an executive, it's a really lonely place to be. If you have someone above you, even if you're the CEO and you've got a board of directors, you can't show weakness to the board, they'll replace you. You can't show weakness to, a, to someone down the chain of command because they want your job. It's a really lonely place and there are a few places like coaching where an executive can really explore what they're going through and with the help of the habit finder discover why some of those things might be trans tra occurring so if if they're if they're having these challenges and we can start sharing with them principles and practices so that those unhealthy habits of thinking stop showing up and all of a sudden they free their creativity their solutions um, ah, there's not a greater gift you can give to a high level executive than an assessment that helps them see a safe place to look at it and then a coach to guide them and with laser accuracy laser accuracy on the places that will create the fastest roi they can take their resources, their time, their energy, and focus it on that one thing and create multiples of returns by doing so. So what a gift to be able to do this with an executive. And sometimes we find that those executives have created some of those challenges just by the way in which they process. And all of a sudden they start listening to people differently and they step into their world and they take down their walls of resistance and they begin to unleash, on average, a 40% reserve of energy and cooperation in everybody they work with, and they model it so their managers do likewise, their managers do likewise, and pretty soon we've got an entire organization who feels valued, understood, appreciated, and ready to take a bullet, if you will, for the organization. They work without counting the cost or tracking the time. They become results driven and not time driven. Not well, it's five o'clock, door hits me on the backside. I'm not saying they work through the night, but it's not about time anymore. It's about results. And to free an organization to be results driven at every level is just huge, often starting with the person at the top. Well, I love that, Dave. And you know, I really gave thought to creating the podcast and what I wanted it to be called. And I chose imperfect for several reasons. When you are a heart-centered leader and you can lead with imperfection, 
it gives the space and the time and the energy to allow openness and vulnerability and to lead. Especially right now, we're on day 82 of the COVID-19 pandemic, and I've had leaders saying to me, I'm conveying to my team that I can only communicate what I know in this moment. I don't have all the answers. They're preparing to reopen with safety. It's still unknown. There's many sectors that don't even know if or when or how. And what I'd love to hear from you is, how do you lead with imperfection for the Ogmandino Institute? And how have you been able to sustain your energy management through the pandemic? Wow, two big questions. <laughs> two leadership principles. Leadership principle number one, do what I do, not what I say. We've all heard that. But when leaders are leading by example and sharing, I was struggling with this. This is the decision I made. This is what happened. Would this serve you to know? So they're teaching by their own learning from their own imperfection. We don't want to share imperfection necessarily in a given moment and commiserate with people. We want to share it with them after we've figured it out. We had the challenge, we became aware, we made the following corrections, thought you might want to try something like this yourself. That's a powerful piece. And two, leaders pull the very best out of their people. So many we've seen, and you've seen this, and hopefully no one listening to this, you know, they, they raise up the ladder as soon as they get advanced and excuse the expression, but kind of pee in the four corners and set their territory and they feel like they have to give all the answers. Wow, what a tremendous amount of pressure on a leader, especially if they don't know, then they kind of start doing it, winging it, so to speak, and everybody knows, everybody knows that there's better ideas, et cetera, but the leader said my way or the highway. When the leader steps in and manages a meeting like this, here's the challenge we're facing. Bill, what would you think would be the best thing to do? Bill shares. Sally, what did you like best about what Bill said? Jill, what did you like best about what Bill said? Oh, thank you. What I like best about that was this. Sally, what would you add to that? Oh, Bill, what did you like best about what Sally said? And by the time you get done listening to, validating, and writing on a board everybody's ideas, there's a very good chance that almost everything the leader was thinking of is now on the board. Difference? Instead of dictating what needs to be done, he now has buy-in or she has buy-in on what needs to be done. Everybody feels valued, their walls come down, their cooperation flood out, and now out of all those ideas, we can prioritize, put a plan together, and everybody is excited to execute. We're no longer pushing a rope as a manager. When a manager does that, there's always a fear. Well, what happens if they become better than me and replace me? No, in a great organization, I'm the CEO. I'm looking for people who treat people like that, who grow people, because I want that person to grow even more people and grow even more people. I want them in the most valuable position to influence people at that level because there's a wealth of information in every organization and to pull it out of them. Now in terms of COVID, we have a tendency 
especially entrepreneurial minded people, and that's independent thinkers and most high level executives have got these gifts, effortless thinking, vivid visualization. We have to be very careful not to let one eyedropper of negativity go into those two habits of thinking because their proclivity, their natural negative tendency is to go into catastrophe. And when we're a leader and we're catastrophizing and our body is releasing cortisol, a stress hormone, or our amygdala is shutting down the energy-rich parts of our brain, our prefrontal cortex, our empathy, practical judgment, common sense, and we're rendered paralyzed, we can't, we, we, we don't have the common sense or the empathy to lead. We're paralyzed emotionally. So a leader has to be very careful not to put eyedroppers of negativity into that process. If they can at the same time, they want to be practical, honest, logical, but always in solution, always in solution. Okay, so we can't do it the way we did it before right now. What ideas could we come up with to create as much value for our customers and clients during this time, and some really creative people like in medicine, doctors are discovering that patients really like telemedicine, getting on a Zoom call, talking about their illness, doctor gets to see them, they talk through it, maybe a prescription, and they don't have to drive in because they don't feel well. They don't have to sit in a waiting room for an hour or two and then get home and you know go pick up a prescription. Everything's taken care of virtually. What a creative way to do medicine. I think when medicine, we're going to see when this is over, that there'll be more telemedicine being done because it's valuable for both the doctor and the use of time and the patient. Uh, some corporations have had a lot of people working from home and they're discovering that when people work from home and can focus for periods of time without the distractions of the office, in many industries, the people are actually being more productive well, being creative like that, always in solution. Okay, well, that doesn't work. Let's find another one. There's always an answer if we're in solution. And the leader's responsibility is not to commiserate. The leader's responsibility is to lead by example. And the example is to always be in solution. Okay, no, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how long this is going to be. So let's figure out how to make this the most effective, productive time and let's find the gift in this moment. We don't want to be falsely positive. We've talked about this, Deb, that positive mental attitude, you know, <laughs> could be like a rotten fence post. You put paint on it, but when the wind blows, the fence post breaks. We want to do some real inner work. So the leader has the responsibility, use the word metacognition, stepping back, reflecting on their own thinking. Okay, I've got fear. I'm going to let the fear pass through me. I'm not going to get stuck and try to fix and worry. I'm going to focus on what can I control, and I'm going to help every person in my organization do likewise. Yes, this can be scary, but it pass through you. What can you control? Let's identify that piece. Let's get as creative as we can, and let's see if we can't find new solutions that could actually bless us now and after COVID-19. That's leadership. Well, I fully agree. And as you're talking, all that keeps coming to my mind is common sense is not always common practice. And how, <laughs> and how often that discussion comes up when I'm talking with executives. 
I think, I think people look at executives and C-suite leaders and think because of the stature and the level of success that they have it all and they know it all and that's not the case. And that's one of the biggest reasons I wanna have these conversations with leaders across the globe. They're just people. They've been ambitious and they've climbed the ladder and I can't agree with you more. They are lonely at the top and they paid a price to get there. And coaching is such a great modality for them to be able to have that safe space to talk about everything they experienced on the way up. So very interesting. I want to ask one more question, Dave, and I want to talk about why comparison so often enters our coaching conversation and how it truly is the thief of our joy. Mm. We measure, as you know, the thought processes that drive comparison. And they are the most toxic, difficult habits of thinking. Only one out of 250 people have a really clear self-esteem. And they've got their own set of problems. They step out into the world thinking everybody thinks like them and everybody looks okay. So they talk to them as if they're okay and they're terribly intimidating. It's effortless for them to be okay and everybody else is spending all this energy propping up this facade to try to look okay. It's exhausting. So the leader becomes intimidating. That's not a healthy place to go. But of the 249 in varying degrees, you've got dialogue where they might be questioning their very worth as a human being. And that can be driven by, for many executives, if they've been so results-driven, so action-driven, that they get their value from how well they perform and not from their intrinsic worth as a human being. That's an interesting challenge. And then many are calling into question their, their ability, their skill set. Most common thing I've heard with executives is, I'm afraid they'll find out. And you can say, find out what? And it's a whole, whole interesting discussion. Find out how little I do know or how insecure I feel. And they're spending tremendous amounts of energy trying to look okay when they don't feel okay. And when they're in that space, they're missing opportunities to have empathy, to step into EM, stand on someone's path, see through their eyes, and get inspired ideas about how to inspire that person to breathe life into them because they're so focused on their own pain. We miss opportunities. We might even talk ourselves out of some of our own inspiration. So we get into comparison. Here's the bottom line. When we are in our self-esteem thought processes that are unhealthy, they make us feel Less than. Feel, keyword. When we look out at the world, we have a tendency to look at people and buy into what we see. That creates one of two challenges. One, we might be intimidated by someone who looks really put together. That's a possibility. For most executives, the greatest challenge is they'll create an expectation for how someone will perform. Expectation, meaning a concrete condition for happiness, success, joy, you know, in my business as a leader, expectation about a person's performance and be constantly disappointed by how they actually show up. Because we know, Deb, that nothing is as it appears. See this beautiful resume and it's just not what's happening. And we'll want to have leaders who can shut off the noise in their own head about themselves 
learn how to really show up for another person and find out where they really are so they can more, effect, more effectively inspire them, breathe life into them, and manage them. If they can do this, it's critical. Which brings us to something that's kind of like a spoiler alert, right? That we have on the table right now, three years of development into Habit Finder interview so that executives that's not too far off are going to be able to have an applicant take a, an assessment and have a series of questions that can help them examine what's really going to show up two or three months from now, because we know an applicant is showing up very best behavior, right? But can they sustain that when the pressure of the job comes and their habits of thinking creep back in? Well, we can help create an interview so you can know what's going to show up. And then you can decide, can I manage that? And then when we're doing reviews, have them take the assessment again, see where they are, and have discussions around the things that really impact productivity, success in their job. What is holding them back? What gifts do they have that are not being maximized? So you asked me about comparison. <laughs> comparison in that I get intimidated by how I feel versus how they look. I feel great. They look okay. Disappointed because they don't show up that way. And the comparison between how someone is showing up in the moment and how they are really thinking. Because we know those habits of thinking are going to show up after we've hired them. Or if we've got a performance interview, we know from the assessment what might be creating the challenges we'd like to discuss. So we can compare what we're seeing versus what is real. So comparison is an interesting discussion in the vast majority of society. We, we live inside our head, how we feel, and comparing that with how everybody else looks. We call it a straw bridge. We build a straw bridge between us and someone else. That's a bridge that won't support connection. Well, and that's the foundation of it all, isn't it? Our connection with people. I could sit and talk about this all day, Dave. I just, <laughs> I just love it. Now, I like to end with a fab four. And it's four questions that I've drafted for you. And it's just they're fun. And you don't even have to think. It's, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. So here's the first one. What transferable skill from playing football in college, do you think serves you well today? Oh my goodness. You just took me right back to the dorm when I realized I was not going to be Nick Bonacani. For those of you who are old enough to remember, he was a linebacker with Miami Dolphins. He was my size. And I figured if he could do it, I could do it. And with a broken hand that had just been casted, torn, cartilage in my ankle, meniscus in my knee, a neck injury, a back injury. <laughs> I used to joke that every day a body part weakened and every week a body part failed. Here's the truth. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't reflect on a lesson learned from my athletic career. Whether it's playing hurt, whether it's digging in deeper, whether it's catching up, whether it's practice, I love practice. I loved practice. I was an all-conference linebacker in high school. 
but I know that for three years, I was the first person from station to station to station, first person when we ran the quarter mile, I was always the first, I pushed myself in practice, which translated well into the game. And so I remember, well, if I really wanna play at that level, then there are some certain things I need to learn, some gifts I need to acquire, some thoughts I need to overcome. So there's hardly a day that goes by I don't think about those football experiences. I love that. And I, I knew there was going to be many transferable skills that you probably visit and, and reminisce on daily. So that that's fun. Okay, here's yes, my... Smiles. College, everybody's big and fast. Absolutely. <laughs> I was small and slow. <laughs> that's a joke anyway. But, but slow and steady always wins the race, Dave. You've taught me that. All right, here's my next question. What makes you joyful? Hmm. A couple of things. When you share a principle with someone and you watch them surrender to it, apply it, and make it happen, and then they share it back, they care enough to come back and say, this is what I did with what you shared. And that is an, I, I live for that. I made the commitment years ago that I would spend the rest of my life helping people learn what I learned during a 10 year period when I was paying back a million dollars in debt after the collapse of the real estate market. I kept the promise and it absolutely brings me joy when somebody takes something like that and runs with it. Another thing is that when I've set a target for the day, this is my result that I want to create. I make sure at the end of each day when that result is created that I celebrate for a moment. It's joyful. Sense of accomplishment can bring joy. Uh, do a lot of work with executives and their marriages. And it's so fun when you see someone finally catch on that no success compensates for failure in the home. And that challenges at work are often a reflection of challenges at home. And you see two people fall back in love, start talking to each other, adore each other, treat each other with great respect. That just brings me such joy because that's the relation, excuse me, the relationship I have with my sweetheart for the last 45 years. I just love it when other people can feel those feelings. That's beautiful. Okay, here's my third question. What book would you recommend to a young person today that is a must read and why? Mm. You know that as the CEO of the Ogmandino Group, Ogmandino wrote The Greatest Salesman in the World. It's interesting to me how many times I receive, how many emails I receive, sometimes a phone conversation, sometimes when I'm speaking somewhere, people will come up after and they'll talk about when their father or mother gave them a copy of The Greatest Salesman in the World when they were 16 or 17. And it changed their life. We need, not need, we'll want to prepare our children for life by having them feel intrinsically valued, teaching them how to work, and teaching them the basic foundational principles of living. And there are a few things that can give it to them more solidly than the greatest salesman in the world, the 10 scrolls. So it's a, it's, it's a must read for a teenager. Well, I haven't had a chance to tell you this. I had an amazing mentor in my life. His name was Steve McClure. 
and we lost him two years ago to cancer. And I was unpacking uh, a box that I had in my basement from many, many decades ago. And he gave me that book. And I just paused and felt a full circle moment that here I am now, 30 years later. Tomorrow's my 30th year in business, Dave. And that was the, that was the book that I was given at uh, 24 years old. And I just thought, this is incredible. So just a full circle moment. So I have to end with a question that you know is so near and dear to my heart. And it's the foundational language of who I am and my brand. I believe that heart-centered leaders lead by example. And I would love for you to share how you implement self-care into your life every day and maybe share a couple of things that you do. Okay. Well, first of all, uh, I wrote three books in a row. Started about 2008, and by the time 2017 came, I'd finished three books. And I was writing between 4 a.m., 8 a.m., and then coaching all day, and then speaking almost every weekend someplace. It was bizarre. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I was the last person on my list of priorities. And the weight I could never gain when I was playing football in college just came on, just poof. <laughs> and I woke up one day and said, this isn't working. And made the decision to get back into shape. Well, that started with going on a very specific controlled regimen in terms of eating. Uh, remodeled a part of our downstairs into a really wonderful gym. So every morning when I'm here in town and when we're at the cabin, there's a gym in town. But it's with COVID-19, it's been nice to have it here for ourselves. I go in and I've got a routine that I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and a routine I do Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, it just feels so good to have the physical health uh, as a critical piece of this. Second, and this is a hard one for most CEOs, that is if you've been working and so focused, all of a sudden COVID has probably revealed, it has to me, a little bit of workaholism because <laughs> all of a sudden you're done with the day and you're not at the office to be preoccupied with something else. You, you actually got a few minutes to be by yourself. I would ask everyone here, have you found that to be just a little uncomfortable at first? And as it's progressed, are you getting more and more comfortable with it? Because it's so important in self-care that we separate our business from our life. When our life is in our business, it's like snorkeling in manure. Excuse the expression, but <laughs> get the visual. We have a business we work on and a life we live in. We have a business where we set goals and accomplish them. We have a life where we identify dreams and create them. When we can create this separation, this is my work, this is my life. And I can go back and forth between them, but I'm always fully, not, I'm not always. <laughs> my goal is, Deb, to always be fully present wherever I am. If I'm in my life, I'm fully present. If I'm at work, I'm fully present. Um, and it's bringing a richness. COVID-19 has helped me see some fallacies in this area of having just worked way too much at the expense of 
creating that life where you just have a few moments to just be still, be at peace, to experience joy in that area as well. So those are the two things I've been doing, working on my physical body and two, separating business from my life. I love that. Well done. Well, Dave, I, I'm so grateful for your time because I know you're a busy guy. I'm honored to call you a colleague. I'm immensely grateful that you've been my coach, a wonderful mentor and a friend. And I want to thank you for your time and wisdom. And I always end the podcast with kind of my favorite five things to say to our listeners. Follow your heart, have passion, do your best, know your truth, and be in love with the journey. This is Deb Crow. Thank you for joining yeah. me today yeah. on the Imperfect. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I have to say this for your listeners. Deb Crow is the real deal. She's not just doing a podcast to try to become well-known. She's doing a podcast born out of her soul and the service that she's actually providing in this area to executives and business owners. It's quite remarkable. I just had to say that, Deb, before we quit. Well, you've, you've taught me a lot. And my dad used to tell me that we have one trip around the sun and I'm going to enjoy the, the joy and the journey. So thank you for that, Dave. And thanks everybody for tuning in. And I look forward to you joining us again on the next episode of the Imperfect Podcast.